Well, we're going to look today at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, we have come to the end of our study of this amazing book. This is message number 24 on the book of Daniel as we've worked our way all the way through from the first verse of chapter 1 now to the last verses of chapter 12. Now what an incredible man of God Daniel was, what amazing prophecies God <coughs> excuse me, chose to share with him, and by extension to us as well. And as we move closer to the return of the Lord Jesus, I trust that you will go back to Daniel again and again to, to review and rethink some of this incredible prophetic information, or just to be enriched by looking at the life of Daniel. He was an incredible servant of the Lord with an outstanding testimony for, for the true and living God. We're going to finish off the last half of chapter 12 today. And just by way of introduction, let me just share this with you. I think we all recognize that man has always been curious about the future. Throughout human history, human beings have had a desire to know what's going to happen uh, in the next few weeks and in the next few years. And among those who do not know the true and living God, this desire to know the future has led folks often to seek out fortune tellers and palm readers and tea leaf readers and mediums who consult the spirit world and all sorts of other kinds of predictors of the future. You are probably aware, uh, some of you may be, that the law of Moses in the Old Testament prohibited the Lord's people uh, from seeking out mediums or wizards. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, many centuries after the law was given to Moses, he challenged the Lord's people in Isaiah 8, he said, when they say to you, seek those who are medium, mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, meaning God's word, it is because there is no light in them. Great challenge. He says, should people seek the dead on behalf of the living? No, he said, go to the scriptures, to the law and to the testimony. And if people don't speak according to this word, God's word, he said, it's because there's no light in them. God always wants his people to trust him, to trust his word, to, to seek him, to, to, to study his word. <clears throat> but within the heart of man, there is a tremendous interest in the future. Uh, why is that? Well, I can suggest a few possible reasons. First, I think there's just an ordinary curiosity. Uh, we have an interest in things that we don't know and sometimes a little anxiety about what we don't know. That's why we listen to the news. That's why some of my neighbors have scanners so they can figure out who the cops are chasing tonight. Huh? That's why if you live in a town and you have neighbors, folks tend to look out their window and see what's happening with the neighbors. Well, we all just tend to be curious. But I also think that some people try to guess the future so they can capitalize on, on what's coming. If, if humans could know the future, they could know how to play the stock market. They could know about all the things that are going to come into the world so they could prepare for it. But I think one of the biggest reasons people want to know the future is because of fear. We tend to live in fear because of the unknown and fear of the unexpected. It's what we don't know that scares us. It's what might happen. And so human beings have always wanted to eliminate that unknown and therefore eliminate fear. But the only true source of knowledge about the future, of course, is the Bible. It's God's Word. 
There is no other true source, and Daniel is one of the great prophetic books of the Bible. In Daniel, or any other prophetic book, God does not tell us every single detail about every single event. But he does give us glimpses of future events, future judgments, future blessings, as well as tell us about some of the individuals and the nations that are involved in those events. Why does God give us glimpses into the future? Is he just trying to satisfy our curiosity or give us the self-serving ability to try to protect ourselves against what's coming? I do not believe so at all. And I think there are at least four reasons why God tells us about the future. You may be able to think about a couple more, but I'm sure if you know the Lord that you'll at least agree with these four reasons. First, God tells us about the future in order to prove the truth of his word. One of the great proofs of the truth of the Bible is that it accurately predicts the future. The book of Daniel, if you've been with us for some of these studies, or if you've listened to them online along the way, or however you may have, have been in contact with the book of Daniel, but he very, very clearly proves this. Over and over and over again, God told Daniel things that were going to happen a hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years, five hundred years in advance, and they all happened. And you can prove it historically. That God specifically told Daniel things that were going to happen for hundreds of years in advance in amazing detail, and it all happened just exactly the way God said it was going to happen. So when the event that the Bible predicts comes to pass, it's a very convincing argument that the Bible is the Word of God. Godly men held the pen, but the Holy Spirit told them what to write. Many people will say to you, Ah, oh, the Bible is just written by men. My response is, yes, men held the pen, but the Holy Spirit of God told them what to write. And fulfilled prophecy very clearly proves that. There is absolutely no way that Daniel could have had a clue what was going to happen hundreds of years down the road. And God told him precisely what was going to happen, and it happened. Secondly, God tells us about the future in order to demonstrate his sovereignty. The passage that we've gone to many, many times in Isaiah 46, we have referred to it over and over and over again. Where God says, from ancient times, I know the things that are not yet done. And he said, I have purposed it, I will do it, I have spoken it, I will bring it to pass. And the, the, the record of Nebuchadnezzar being humbled by God in Daniel chapter 4 reinforces this truth. That God wants us to know that he is charting the course of human history. He is the creator of this universe and everything in it, and he's the sovereign ruler over all of it. So God tells us about the future to prove the truth of his word. He tells us about the future in order to demonstrate his sovereignty. Thirdly, I think God tells us about the future in order to motivate us and in order to comfort us. And by us, I mean those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. When we know that the Lord is coming, when we see his hand at work in this world, we are motivated to be busy living for him. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3, He who has this hope in him, and if you look at the context, this hope is the hope of Christ's return. If you have this hope in him, he said he will purify himself. You see, when we know Jesus is coming, we are comforted. No matter what happens in this world, we know it's all going to work out for the glory of God with the Lord Jesus Christ ruling as King of kings and Lord of lords. 
So God gives us glimpses of the future to prove the truth of his word, to demonstrate his sovereignty, and to comfort and motivate his people. But I also believe, fourthly, that God reveals the future in order to warn unbelievers, to warn them of coming judgment, to warn them to repent and turn to Christ before it's too late. And as we've studied the book of Daniel, we can see all of these purposes. We've seen God speak exact history before it happened. We can look back and see that it all came to pass exactly as he said it would. We've seen that God is sovereignly controlling the flow of history and the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms in order to accomplish his purposes. We have seen God speak comfort and encouragement to his people as well as, as, as motivate them to serve and obey. And he has certainly warned the rebellious and the unbelieving. But even with all of these fascinating and sweeping prophecies we've looked at in these last several months, and all of the amazing detail that God has given, we're still left with many mysteries. There are still so many questions. It seems like the more we know, the more we realize how much we don't know. And so as we finish chapter 12 today, we find ourselves asking some of the same questions that Daniel asked. He says, I don't understand all of this, Lord. So it's not only our problem, it was Daniel's problem too. He didn't get it all either. And God has chosen to not tell us every detail about everything. But I've titled my thoughts today for you today, God's last words to Daniel. God's last words to Daniel, or God's final words to Daniel. And we want to begin to read in verse 4 of chapter 12, where we left off last week, and we'll read to the end of the chapter, just verses 4 through 13. But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, we'll talk about him in just a moment, he appeared in chapter 10, who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. As we think about God's final words to Daniel, or God's last words to Daniel, I want to share with you a few observations from, from the text. Four basic observations from the text as I was thinking about these things and reading and looking at it. The first one is this, the, the, the mysteries of prophecy. As we said a moment ago, even with all these fascinating and sweeping prophecies and all the amazing detail that God has given, we're still left with, with many mysteries. 
There are still so many questions, and it seems that, that the more we know, the more we realize how much we don't know. And Daniel said the same thing. And one of the angels standing next to the riverbank beside Daniel asked a question. Now in this scene that we have here, in, in verse 5 and, and 6 and 7 and 8 in through there, we, we see Daniel, and we see two others based on previous information in chapter 10. I think they are angelic beings. We see, one, uh, we see one person clothed in linen, and remember the person who was clothed in linen also appeared in chapter 10, and being clothed in linen is significant because that's the clothing of a priest who's ministering in the temple. And so Daniel sees one person who has the sort of appearance of the Old Testament priest, and he sees two others that uh, I believe are angelic beings, one on either side of the river standing, one of them standing next to Daniel. Of course, the person clothed in linen is kind of hovering above the water of the river, and he is described in chapter 10 as having a face as bright as lightning, and eyes like fire, and a voice like the roar of a crowd. And the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, he sees the same kind of person described almost exactly the same way, but yet based on John's further... <laughs> description of, of him, he is clearly Jesus Christ. And so I believe that this person clothed in linen here, I believe, is the pre-incarnate Christ. It is a, we talked about it I think last week, a theophany, an appearance of God, or some might call it a Christophany, an appearance of God the Son in the Old Testament era. So Daniel sees God the Son hovering above the river, and two angels standing on both sides of the riverbank, and one of the angels asks a question. How long will it take for these things to be fulfilled? He asks, I believe, God the Son. When I read that, I thought, wow, even the angels don't know the exact timetable of prophetic events. But that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 24, did he not? No man knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. The angels know a lot, but they don't know everything either. Only God is omniscient. Only God knows all. And the one who is clothed in linen, I believe the Son of God, uh, hovering above the river, he holds up both hands and he swears an oath. That means to make a binding promise that it was going to last this, this terrible time for the Jews, this, uh, this uh, last half of what we call the tribulation, that it was going to last, he says, a time, times, and half a time. Now we've seen that phrase in Daniel already, way back in chapter 7. We also see this same time period described in Revelation four different times. In chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13, this same time period is mentioned four different times, described four different ways in the book of Revelation. It's described as a time, meaning a period of time, and then times, two periods of time, and then half a time, whatever that block of time is, you've got a one and a two and a half, three and a half years, it's described in Revelation as 42 months, three and a half years, 1,260 days, three and a half years, if you have a 30-day month, which is the way the Jewish calendar was. So however it's described, 1,260 days, 42 months, a time, times and a half a time, it's, it's three and a half years. That is the length of time that the Antichrist will commit atrocities against Israel. And in the ancient world, you raised your hand if you were going to, uh, to swear a solemn, sacred oath, and you, and you were binding yourself to a promise. 
But here God the Son raises both hands and he swears by himself. He says, he swore by him who lives forever, which is himself, which is God. And he swears by himself, making the promise that this will last for three and a half years. And notice the last phrase of verse, I believe it's verse 7. When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. You know, in Genesis chapter 22, God swore by himself that he would make a great nation out of Abraham. Hebrews chapter 6, in talking about that issue in Genesis 22, the writer of Hebrews says, when you swear an oath, you swear by someone who's greater than you. And since nobody's greater than God, when God makes an oath, he swears by himself. In other words, he says, because of my character, because of who I am, I make this promise, and because of who I am, I will keep the promise. I'm not counting on you people to keep it. I'm counting on me to keep it. I'm making the promise, and by my character and my power, I'm going to keep the promise. I swear by myself, I will do this. So here we believe, here I see, we believe, uh, the, 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 the God, God the Son making a solemn promise that based on His own greatness, His own power, His own authority, that Antichrist will only have three and a half years of total power, and his purpose is, he says, to crush Israel when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered. You say, why? I believe God's going to use that to, to, to cause them to turn to the Messiah. Remember, we saw last week two-thirds of the people living in Israel will die in that last half of the tribulation. God's going to preserve one-third as a remnant. And when Jesus Christ breaks through the clouds and touches his feet unto the Mount of Olives and destroys the armies of the world at the Battle of Armageddon, the book of Zechariah says they're going to look on him whom they pierced. And the Apostle Paul writes in, in, in Romans 11, as he quotes that verse, he said, and all Israel will be saved. They are going to be so completely crushed, thinking they are going to be so totally destroyed, they'll have no other hope except Jesus Christ. And you know, from the standpoint of us, I believe that God brings trouble to us quite often to force us to stop trusting the things that we trust and turn to Him. He knocks all the props out so that we have nothing left but Him. And that is what He's going to do during the last half of the tribulation to Israel. He's going to knock out all the props from under Israel so when he comes to rescue them at Armageddon, they will turn to him. When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things will be finished. Then comes Daniel's question. A little different from the angelic question. Daniel asks in verse 9, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? What will be the end? When will it all end? Not, not as the angel said, how long will this terrible time of trouble last? When, but, but Daniel says, when will it all be over? And he asked because he didn't understand there are so many prophetic mysteries. And I want you to notice that God did not answer Daniel's question. Which brings us to our second observation, and that is the sovereignty of God. Not only did God swear by himself, indicating his sovereignty, but he also elected to not answer Daniel's question. You can read the rest of the chapter. He never answered Daniel's question. 
You know, sometimes when we think about the sovereignty of God and His power, we kind, we kind of blend together the concept of God being omnipotent, meaning He's all-powerful, and God being sovereign. Those are related concepts, but they're not identical. Omnipotent means that God has the power to do whatever He wants to do. The word sovereign means that God has the right to do whatever He wants to do. So they're related but not identical. And, and, and if we have learned anything from the book of Daniel, we have learned that God is both omnipotent and sovereign. He has the power and the right to do whatever He wishes to do. And here He swears by Himself that this is exactly the way it's going to pan out. And Daniel says, can you tell me more, Lord? And, and God says, no, I can't. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you any, any more, Daniel. Our third observation from this text is that there's going to be a search for answers. First, there are great mysteries and prophecies. Secondly, I see the sovereignty of God. And thirdly, I see there's going to be a search for answers. Look at verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Verse 4 indicates that, that Daniel was to preserve what he had heard. That's the concept behind the command to close up and seal the book. It's not a command to hide what he'd seen and heard. It's a command to preserve it for future generations. Why? Because the angel says there's coming a day when folks are going to desperately need this information. We might be getting real close to that day. Some people interpret the end of verse 4 as meaning that at the time of the end, people will be traveling all over everywhere and scientific knowledge will be increasing. It says many will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase at the, the, the time of the end. Well, I will say our modern age is called the age of transportation and the age of information. Knowledge is increasing exponentially. Man, the digital world just explodes year after year after year. More, more stuff and faster computers and greater memory and, and, and more digital things. And knowledge is just exploding. That is correct. And we certainly live in the, in the age of transportation. We can travel around like nobody ever has in the history of the world. Kathy's going to head to Cheyenne here in a while. So it takes her 12 hours to get there. You lived a hundred years ago, it'd take you four months to get from here to Cheyenne. You know, I mean, it'd take you, <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, you're, you're just, you're going to, you're going to ride a horse from here to Cheyenne. Now you get in your car, get on the interstate, zoom, get on an airplane, you go to the other side of the world, 12 hours, you're on the other side of the planet. I mean, it is, it is incredible. I mean, we have, we are in this age of transportation. We jump in our cars and drive a hundred miles around here in Montana. We drive a hundred miles, we don't even blink. You just jump in your car and take off. It's warm and it's heated and you're out of the wind and you turn on the radio and, and, and you, and you turn up the heat and you're floating along down the highway and you drive a hundred miles like nothing. And so, so certainly this is the age of information and the age of transportation. But placing these thoughts in the context of this vision, I think, I think it's wiser to view this as meaning that at, at the time of the end, we've seen that phrase several times in the book of Daniel here, when he says, the time of the end, it generally has referred to the tribulation, usually the second half of the tribulation. 
And so I believe that what the angel is saying is when, when the Antichrist really takes control and things really start coming unglued, that the people are going to be running all over the place looking for answers. And those who are wise are going to understand. Their knowledge is going to increase. You know, when it comes to the things of God, I don't see lots of people running around today frantically looking for answers. They may be curious. They may be a little fearful. Maybe a little anxious about world events. But, but I'll tell you, when Revelation 6 starts happening, and when Revelation 13 starts happening... I assure you, there will be a lot of people running around frantically looking for answers. There's going to be mass horror and mass hysteria. And looking at this passage from the Jewish perspective, I believe that there will be thousands of people looking to the Old Testament Scripture, to this book of Daniel. And, and at that point, then I believe verse 10 will be fulfilled. Because he says it again, Go your way, Daniel, the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise will understand. I believe that when the Antichrist really begins to turn the screws down on this world, and when the, when the wrath of God begins to pour out on this world, there's going to be a lot of people looking for answers. They are going to be scared to death. And they're going to be running to and fro, figuring out what in the world is going on to our world. And a bunch of the Jewish people, I believe, are going to, because a lot of them are agnostics today. They don't care about anything. They're totally secularized. But when that happens, they're going to be looking at the Old Testament Scriptures. And they're going to be figuring out what in the world is going on. And somebody's going to find Daniel, the book of Daniel. And they're going to start to read those prophecies and say, wow, now I get it. Jesus was the Messiah. He says this is going to happen. What he says is going to happen is exactly what happened. This guy, who we, we, we thought he was our friend, and now, and now he's breaking his treaty with us, and he's trying to kill us all. That's exactly what Daniel said, 500 B.C. That's why I said, the wise will understand. Many will be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked are just going to keep doing what they're doing. The wise will read Daniel and figure it out. They'll realize what's happening, but the wicked will never get it. There are two more interesting details that we can only make theories about. In verse 11, he says, From the time the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. You say, hey, wait a minute. All the other things were 1,260 days. What's the extra, where'd the extra 30 days come from? And then he says in verse 12, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So we're the 1,330, that's another 45 days. Well, I wish I had a great answer for you, but you know what? This is the only place in Scripture where those numbers are mentioned. It's not in Revelation. It's nowhere. It's nowhere but right here. It's the only place it's there. And so it, it just makes people theorize, wondering. And putting a bunch of Bible prophecies together, uh, most Bible students theorize that the extra 30 days, the 1290, is for the judgment of the nations at the end of the tribulation. There's another 30 days for the final judgment of the nations after the battle of Armageddon. And the extra 45 days beyond that... We, we theorize that maybe that's for to allow time for the setting up and the structuring of the millennial kingdom, which is why he says the person is blessed when he sees it. 
Blessed is the person who waits and comes to there, who actually makes it to that point. But that's just a theory. We have no, we have no, no absolute definitive thing, explanation of what those numbers are, because this is the only place they occur. So on to our fourth observation. The assurance from God. And this, I think, are words from us. God gives Daniel three words of assurance. First, he gives him a word of responsibility. He says, Daniel, go your way. That doesn't mean get out of here, Daniel. It's, it's an expression that means keep living. Whatever of your life is left, just keep rolling along, keep serving me, keep trusting me. I'm not going to tell you, Daniel, any more than I've already told you. Don't worry about not understanding it all. Just keep living a responsible life for the glory of God. That's the word of responsibility. God said it to him twice. Daniel, you go your way. Preserve the book and then just keep living, Daniel. One of these days you'll have it all figured out. I'm not going to tell you anymore. There's the word of responsibility. Secondly, he gives him a word of resurrection. Verse 13, go your way to the end for you shall rest and will arise. To your inheritance. Daniel's probably at least 90 years old by now. He's been in Babylon for over 70 years. They took him there when he was a teenager. So he's probably 90, maybe in his early 90s. And God says to him, Daniel, your time of rest is coming. My beloved Daniel, you're going to leave this life, but you will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Rest in that promise, Daniel. You will be resurrected one day, which we've seen already in previous verses. And then thirdly, God gives him a, a word of reward. He says, Daniel, you'll receive your inheritance after the resurrection. And we all know what an inheritance is. It's, it's a gift that we didn't earn. It's something given to us by someone who loved us. That's why we inherited it. And I believe those words are for us today. The word of responsibility, the word of resurrection, the word of reward don't have a panic attack over Bible prophecy. Study it, ponder it, research it, but don't go nuts over what you can't figure out. Just keep living a responsible life for the glory of God. As the words of the old hymn tell us, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, there'll be not a shadow, not a sigh. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toils of life repay. So onward to the prize before us. Soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the street of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let's pray. Lord, we certainly confess we don't, we don't know all the answers to Bible prophecy. We see a lot of things. We see many things, uh, and we, we, we take them at face value, and we believe they'll be uh, fulfilled just exactly as you said they would. But we certainly don't have all the details ironed out. 
But Lord, we want to be responsible. We want to go our way and continue to live for God and do the things that are right and live a responsible Christian life for the glory of God. Lord, we look forward to the day of resurrection if we should leave this life before you come back. And Lord, we certainly look forward to the day of reward when we will be blessed beyond our wildest imaginations in not only the millennial kingdom, but in the new heaven and new earth and being with you in the glory of heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. What an amazing inheritance we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So may may we, Father, be true and faithful, as the song says, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of you in glory will all the toils of life repay. Help us, we pray, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.